coming to you from that once forgotten artery that pulses through the center of the continental United States and into the heart of the Ozarks, Grace Matthews. Looking in from the northern border, our Canadian friend, along with his countrymen, feeling the effects of U.S. political issues, Connor Murphy. Welcome to Dueling Dialogues, episode 152. I'm Connor Murphy here with Grace Matthews. Hi, Grace. How you doing? I'm doing really well. That's old, sunny, windy, but sunny. So I'm always well, good when it's sunny, and I, I know we can't say the same for you. No, karma has come to bite us in the ass. I was bragging that I still had herbs out in the garden from last summer, and it started snowing uh, four days ago and hasn't really stopped. So we've got, I don't know, three, four feet of snow. Who's counting anymore? <laughs> when you get that high, you do. You quit. Yeah. You got you nowhere to shovel it. You just gotta, you know, hope the rains start soon. Yeah, so. yeah, that would that would be helpful, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I can't even. That is beautiful, see. though. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. I'll definitely uh, send you some pictures. Oh, do so. do for sure. Yeah. So, what do we got today? We are reviewing or talking. Um, about Hillbilly Elegy. It's a book by J.D. Vance. And I, we're talking about the book, but we're also talking about the thought that his book inspires. Okay. Now, just a little bit of background on J.D. Vance. Now, this book stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for almost two years. Wow. Okay. J.D. wrote it in, he probably wrote it in 2015. Okay, he was 31 years old. Okay. And I, I think that also makes this unique and important for our time. Um, he's probably 34 now. The book is going to be a movie that uh, recently Netflix snatched up. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. he calls it, or I, I, I believe the publishing company, HarperCollins, um, dubbed it a memoir of family and culture and crisis. Now, I'm not sure I would say in crisis unless you believe that crisis can be constant. Okay? Because nothing much has changed. J.D. was an Appalachian hillbilly. Now, as probably most of our listeners know, I live in the Ozarks. Right. We have we are hillbillies here. We just call them hippies out here on the west coast. Yeah. Well, we're we're definitely hillbillies or granolas. Sometimes we and call them granolas. <laughs> 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 the, that's usually the kale eating bunch. <laughs> well, the the hillbillies definitely aren't kale eating. Okay, many of them would still eat a possum or a squirrel. Yeah, yeah, and they would still make moonshine. But the fact is, most of them do not live out in the country and wipe their butts with corn cobs. Right. I I remember when I was in college, I went on spring break to Myrtle Beach, and we met some guys from New York, and we were trying to explain where we were, and they were like, "Oh, you're hillbillies." Do you really use corn cobs to wipe with? <laughs> no. I mean, I think they were kind of serious, and that was in the 80s. Wow. So um, there are pockets of hillbillies around, and hillbillies are generally white, working-class people. 
Right. Okay. They are unique in that they do not like government help. No, they're very independent. In, in fact, they would most of them would starve to death before they would take a dime. Yeah, yeah. Still, a lot live off the grid, which is pretty amazing. That's that's true. Now, J.D. Vance's hillbillies, his family, his mama and papa, escaped to their plight in Kentucky to Ohio, where oh. his, his <laughs> grandfather, yeah, we're having whoopee dreams over there. <laughs> Oliver, wake up. <laughs> uh, he was a little loud with his dreams. Yeah. Anyway, and his grandfather worked in a steel plant to make steel for American-made cars. Right. And through the years, the steel, they make steel for different purposes and different cars. So his grandparents were lucky. But being a hillbilly is not just about money. Okay, there is, an, a, or poverty. Right. It is a train of thought. And it is not about race. Yeah, I think it's a way of life as well. It is sort of a way of life. And I don't know, do you guys have a white working class? Oh, yeah. In Canada that is, I mean, are they making it or are they barely making it? Barely making it. A lot of them work in the oil and gas industry. So right now they're barely making it. Okay. Um, and, and through the years, these people kind of cycle, don't they? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, that industry has been attracting people from all walks of life right across Canada and abroad. Um, you know, you go to Fort McMurray and it's probably one of the most diverse places you'll ever see in Canada. Um, but all hardworking people, you know. Oh, yeah. These are very hardworking people. And um, for the most part uneducated but I, I think they're more educated than they used to be right it is just as hard JD Vance talks about uh, it being just as hard to move out of poverty for the white working class as it is the blacks and the Hispanic right and a lot of people in the city would argue with that because in the city it's different um, first of all, in the very large cities and on the Beltway, you do not have the white working class. Right. Not many of them, you know. Um, you have a lot of immigrants, but you don't have the white working class. So the people that make the laws, the people in the cities, the Beltways, they mostly don't understand them or don't believe they exist anymore. Now, J.D. Vance had grandparents that helped him um, understand about getting an education. He got out, he served in the Marine Corps, he ultimately graduated from law school at Yale. Okay. He talks about deep inside of him still being a hillbilly, still right. having that survival mode, you know, uh, still worrying about things and having dreams. Hmm. about, you know, you, you just never trust. I identify with this because my parents were 
the first generation to move away from the hellbilly life. And I can tell you that um, it's very difficult and you don't, they don't give up the idealism. Jenny Vance's mother was a drug addict. She would be fine and then she'd be back on drugs. Right. You know, she had, I believe by the end of the book, it was five husbands. Oh, okay. And um, he had an older sister who mostly took care of him, along with his mama and papa, who were typically close by. Um, his father lived um, away, and I don't know, his mother wanted one of the dads to adopt him. So she basically severed the rights of his real father, but they were reuni- reunited later on. But I don't want to get too hung up on that, but I do want the understanding because a lot of people, the book has become controversial in, in that he did get out. He did get educated. Um, he claims, you know, he hasn't really done anything yet. He has not made millions of dollars and he had, maybe this book has, but yeah. <laughs> when he read yeah. the book, he, he hadn't really done anything. So uh, the fact that this was a memoir, sort of, he questioned. Hmm. And um, he, he talked about how his family, I mean, several people in his family nearly killed people. Right. Some of them did. But you don't call the law because that's just not what you do. Right. You get the shovel. <laughs> Yeah, you you get the shovel and uh, you move the body and uh, basically other hillbillies aren't going to question it. Right. Yeah, they don't really believe in authority or government at all. They're a little anarchist, like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a grandpa um, that was the same way. He wouldn't dare pay taxes. Yeah. Are you kidding? I mean, that was none of their business. He spent his whole life and never paid a dime in taxes. Good for him. Um, but that same mentality, you know, he um, grew up with 11 kids and, you know, they, they took care of their own. Now, J.D. talks about his family, at least his mama and papa, understanding that their kids and grandkids should be educated. Right. Um, I don't think all families think like that. Probably not, but they knew that was a way to escape that way of life. Because many hillbillies believe that the rich people or outsiders are the bad guys. They're evil. Right. Anybody not like them. Exactly. And J.D. says that they believed they didn't hate all rich people. And all rich people weren't bad, but all bad people were rich. <laughs> That's how he explained it. Yeah, that's pretty good. You know, we've we've talked about how marriage has become unique in that only wealthy people seem to be getting married. <laughs> They're the only ones that can afford it. Exactly. The white working class has kind of quit bothering to get married. Yeah. Yeah. They have a really high divorce rate, but they're a pessimistic bunch. 
um, studies showed that white working class is more pessimistic than Afri struggling African Americans. Whoa. Okay. And Hispanics. Hmm. And I believe that's true. They're angry. Right. And, and it's a, a visceral kind of anger. J.D. talks about ACE. Now, ACE is um, a childhood trauma, adverse childhood experiences. And there's 10 types. And these things that can happen to you, you will carry with you your whole life. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, just, just to name a few, it's physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical neglect, emotional neglect, but it also has to do with um, a, a sick parent, a parent that is on drugs, right? Um, certain economic losses, and um, people in this hillbilly working class are actually haunted with these traumas. He said on the scale he had seven wow. of them. Now, I will tell you that you can test these at ACES2high.com. Hmm. Okay. And you can see if you have, you know, those childhood experiences that are stressful and, you know, causing you problems. So it's a, a test, online test that you can... It is. Can it's an online test. Okay. Yes, it is. He talks about it in his book. I looked it up a little further, you know, and uh, a lot of people call this toxic stress. Right, right. Um, we know that this working class group, first of all, hillbillies live, like I said, in different pockets. You know, there are people in Louisiana they call themselves hillbillies. Look at the duck people. Right. They kind of pretend to be hillbillies. They're not really. But they do carry some of those attitudes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're that, still out squirrel that hunting. Hillbilly does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, eating them. Yeah. Just is very scary. Um, the class upward movement is, is something that's important when you talk about this because that's where you move out of your class. And like I, like I said earlier, my parents were the first generation to move out of a class. Right. And, and, and we're talking there, we're, not, we're talking about um, professionally, career-wise, okay? Right. You know how you can say, well, maybe, maybe they say this in Canada, you know, you can take the guy out of Canada, but you can't take Canada out of the guy. Right. <laughs> You know, yeah. because you are where you come from. Yeah. And, and yeah. you may change, you may learn things, but it's always there. The upward class movement, which we pretend is, you know, just a free-for-all, especially if you're white. Well, statistics show us that's not true. Hmm. It's not happening. I mean, everyone moved upward after World War II. Right. You know. Those people were amazing, but also the economy, the, the, the situation, you know. We had great blue-collar jobs then because manufacturing was at a peak. 
and uh, we were making more cars. We were, you know, we were such a consuming society. Right. Um, Trump has added some manufacturing jobs that everybody said wouldn't happen. But we're not going to go back and see those days of World War II. You would think that with the, I don't know, the loans, scholarships, community colleges, that we would be moving those white collar or those, those, um, you know, those hillbilly working class people up the ladder. Right. But we're not. Well, interesting thing has happened here recently in the province of BC. Uh, the government has awarded free post-secondary education um, to anybody that was once a, um, you know, under their parents were getting some sort of financial aid like right. from the province, like welfare or whatever. If you were a child and that was going on, then your, your post-secondary is free. So it's kind of a right. step out trying to get out from that poverty, right? All right. Well, and, and that's a good thing. But JD would say, and I would say, it doesn't do much for this class because they won't accept it. Yeah. And um, they they don't accept help. And I can, I can tell you of a, a lot of situations. I could get in my car and drive you to 10 situations right now where people need help they could get help and they won't accept it proud people but that also makes them people that want to build that wall it makes people that live next to them want to build that wall yeah because how can you help these people if they won't accept things like scholarships jobs well the way you help them is creating more jobs. And Trump tamped into that. He understands that. Why does he understand it? I have no idea. He also understands that the depression and the pessimism causes these pockets to have the worst drug problems. Yeah. Often alcohol right in there, too. Oh, absolutely. But I'll tell you what, some of these drugs are so much cheaper than alcohol. Yeah that they turn to him purely from an economic standpoint. Yeah. Heroin is cheaper than alcohol. Yeah, exactly. Unless they're making their own alcohol, which many do. Well, they do, the ones that live out of the city. The thing about it is, most hillbillies do not live out of the city anymore. You know, that's... Um, I mean, there there's certainly places. And um, in Arkansas, they definitely do so more than in Missouri. Right. Um, where J.D. Vance, that area, he's talking about the Rust Belt. Most of them don't live out of the city. They, they live in sort of impoverished areas of the city. But this upward mobility really stopped in the 70s, and we really have seen basically none since the 70s. That is a systemic failure in the United States. And one that says, maybe we should just take a breath before we start letting people pour over open borders. Yeah. Because we're not we're not getting it right for these people that are already here. 
Yeah, they're probably the ones that are suffering. All these people did accept help like they deserve and they qualify for, we would be broke. You got to think about that too. Yeah. I mean, in a town like this, where the average income in Springfield, Missouri, right now for a family is 30000 a year. Wow. That's a family of four. That's a family. Yeah. 52% of the people here are on some sort of government aid. You have the very, very poor, and you have a very wealthy. You really don't have anything in between. We should be elevating this very poor, at least the ones that are capable, into the middle class with good jobs. But we have like one factory here. Right. So despite Trump's ability to add jobs, there are still pockets like Springfield, Missouri. They, they got nothing. Yeah. And yeah. it's crazy because we sit in the middle of the country so we can get stuff we make wherever you want really quickly. We sit on I-44. We sit on train tracks. You know, we can get it to wherever you want. Yet, we don't have it. Right. And, and there's a lot of different reasons why we don't. But when people in the city and Democrats and people with Trump derangement syndrome are sitting around wondering why people voted for Trump, this is why. They are sick and tired of not being able to move out of the system. Right. And there's a lot of details and intricacies involved in what we're talking about here. Meaning, you may have money to live, but you may not have money to do what you need to do to be part of this upward mobility. Right. Living paycheck to paycheck. Living paycheck to paycheck. Um, you're one recession away from disaster. Yeah. Um, and speaking of disaster, you really can't handle any disaster. Yeah, you know? you're not and Exactly. And you've got legal things that take place. These people can't hire attorneys. That's one reason why they don't, why they take care of it themselves. Yeah. And probably not very well. You know, you've really got to be a part of the upper class to afford legal bills because we are a society where legal is everything. Yeah, yeah. You guys sue and everybody. you would be surprised. <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised how many people are affected by that. They are in their station of life simply because they can't afford the attorneys. Do you have some sort of legal aid there? We do, but it is so um, specific, and it won't. It, they will not take on any kind of civil case. Right, right. Same thing here. Yeah. I mean, even you know, my aunt was trying to take care of a deceased relative stuff. Not even a close person, and she doesn't have a lot of money. She's retired, you know, and um, living off her retirement. And when she went to see if they were to help her, you know, with an attorney, they still wanted her to pay. I mean, they were going to give her a reduced rate, 
And this wasn't even her gig, really, you know? She was just trying to do the right thing for a distant relative. Right. And she finally just had to drop the whole deal. She said, you know, I, I can't afford to to pay for this. Yeah. Um, again, I could give you example out of example of situations that have taken place that I've seen. And I used to do research for attorneys. And people absolutely lost their butinskis in a life-altering ways that had they had the money for the legal defense would have changed their lives completely. Right. But this is part of where people, this is where Trump supporters come from. Yeah, well, who are they going to vote for? You know, the Democrats? Yeah, I mean. They're not big government people. No, they are not big government people. In fact, they want you to stay out of their life. Yeah. But you'd be surprised how many of them there are. Yeah. And in the entire Midwest is filled with them. Um, in fact, I would say that the entire United States, away from the coastal areas, is filled with them. Because you've, you've got a lot of them in Virginia. Right. You know, the coal people are white working class people for the most part. And, and like I said, this just doesn't have anything to do with, with race except for the fact that that's the story. It doesn't have to do with race. Right. And people in the Beltway, people in the cities, people that have Trump derangement syndrome believe it is racism. Yeah. And, and it's not. Well, they call everything racism or a conspiracy it, 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 theory. Yeah. It's not. And, um, of course, there are hillbillies that are racist. Yeah. It's, but for the most part, they're not. They are so busy trying to make ends meet, they don't really have time to think about racism. Right. And, you know, they used to have a pact, and J.D. Vance talks about this, whereas he's talking about his mama, you know, she said she raised three kids, they all had their bikes out on the porch, you know, at night, and nobody ever bothered them. Well, then she had five grandkids, and they had locks on their bikes, and somebody had come along with bolt cutters and, and, and cut it and steal them, and... And she said it was wrong for the poor to steal for the, from the poor. Right. And I think that says a lot right there. Yeah, I would definitely agree. For sure. And I really suggest everyone read the book. Uh, of course, it's coming out on a movie on Netflix. Ron Howard is doing the movie. Oh, wow. So, we know it will be amazing. Um, you got to watch it. You got you've got to see it um, because understanding is everything. Once we understand, we can move forward. Right. Cool. Well, good to know. Absolutely. And uh, you know, it it makes sense that uh, you know they're they they are the Trump supporters, and they're the ones that aren't in any of those polls. No, they wouldn't dare answer a poll. These people don't trust anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they barely trust each other. And, and yes, they do things. They fight. 
they um, they're they're kind of a violent people. But you know, moving them out of this class, providing jobs, takes care of a lot of things. Yeah. Money, you know, having security, and I'm not talking about money as in rich, having security can cut down on domestic violence, drug use, alcoholism, and and violence in general. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally agree with you there. Yep. And we don't always agree, but life's a journey. And we're all in this together. Thanks for listening. Godspeed, Connor. Do not drown in the snow. (laughs) And Godspeed to all of our friends out there. Godspeed, Grace, and thanks for listening, everyone.